Uh, welcome back to Calvary Life. This is a podcast for the members of Calvary Baptist Church, just to talk about the things of the church. And uh, I'm Charles Uptane. I'm Paul Thompson. And uh, we're here today a little bit uh, later than usual in the week for our podcast, but uh, the reason is we've had a, a bit of an unusual day as a staff as we have had uh, two funerals to attend and be a part of today as two of our church members have have passed away this past week. And uh, so we thought today would be a good day then to just have a discussion, uh, a little bit of discussion about about death, about dying and, and funerals and those kind of things, because it's definitely something we as a church family are, are dealing with uh, right now. So, uh, Paul, what, uh, of course, you just finished uh, giving a, a sermon, so to speak, with at a funeral. Uh, anything to add to, to it today? My first thought is, and, and I, I go back to the Wesley brothers, and so if somebody's going to fact check, that'll be great because that means that you're listening. But I don't remember if it was John or, or Charles Wesley who is credited with saying this, but speaking to the other brother, after the death of one of their church members, brother, our people die well. Um, I would like for that to mark us as a people, that our people die well in the sense that uh, we've got to, you know, we we're confident. We're confident of what we believe and why, and, and our people even have a, a healthy biblical understanding of death. And so that was really the aim of today's service with the intent of, of trying to present this as, as victory. Yeah, we're sad. This is certainly, you know, we talked about um, Curtis's passing today it leaves a hole because Curtis sat in the same spot and was known for the same things and his friendliness and involvement in so many different people's lives. So the loss is ours for sure, and we feel the we feel the weight of that, the the whole. But that our people would think well about death and dying, and that's that was really my aim to some degree in that message today. But it's my big picture aim in general. Yeah, I know one thing that you've you've said many times about uh, a funeral specifically, and and speaking at a funeral is, um, you know, sometimes we will uh, talk about the people that uh, and and. I guess the words we use is almost uh, preach somebody into heaven, so to speak, versus letting the the gospel be the thing that, that comes forth. And um, you know, I'm I think, and I'm very very confident uh, where Curtis is because of his belief in Christ. And I think you made that point today, and I think that's important part of a funeral. You know, I've been to so many funerals, uh, many that I've done myself, but I've been to many others, church members and neighbors, friends, family members, and. I have never heard yet from anyone else giving a funeral um, any question, any doubt whatsoever that that person's not in heaven. And um, and I don't have that confidence. I, I mean, I've been to some funerals with some people where, like, I know this guy, and I know he he had no he had no such faith that you speak of. And we do we we maybe in the Catholic terms we beatify people at that moment. We make saints of these people, and and one of the things I've been trying to be very particular about saying at a lot of funerals now is, particularly if we've spent some time really just praising the person, telling their story, like we did today. Uh, you know, genuinely good guy, meant a lot to people, did a lot of good things. Um, a life that you could say, man, wouldn't we be better off if we did more of that? Yeah. And and we're true in saying it, but at the same time, remind people, look, we're not giving you a gospel of works here. We're not saying good people go to heaven. Um, only saved people do. And I will tell you, I've probably heard more wonky theology in funerals, cringeworthy statements from people who ought to know better, pastors, church leaders, and things. Um, I've probably heard more bad theology in funerals than in any other time where Christians are gathered. Yeah. Do you think that's just because people, um, you know, the person speaking is just trying to comfort people? I mean, is that the point of it, or is it just, just— Bad all the way around. What's the what's the motivation to to some of that? Yeah, I don't know. You know, maybe somebody's listening, saying, "Okay, so what would you say then? If you've got somebody ask you to do my my dad's funeral, I know he was lost. What are you going to do? Talk about hell? 
Well, here's what I'm going to do. I made a commitment, and this was a commitment really to the Lord. I don't want to sound supercilious with this, ultra-religious. I'm not trying to be self-righteous. I just made a commitment to the Lord that I wouldn't say anything about him that I didn't believe to be true. And anything about people in that moment that I didn't believe to be so. I, I think it's a sacred moment. So what would I say? I would talk about sin and repentance and the offer of salvation and would never say that they did or they didn't and let people draw the conclusion. In that moment, so to your point, comfort. Yeah, I want to comfort those folks, but there's only so much comfort I can give them biblically. So yeah. I'm not going to mislead at that point. Um, and I'm going to leave that question open for them. And for those who know them, they're going to be able to draw their own conclusion, I hope, and say, yeah, that that wasn't my dad. That wasn't. I thought about that very issue, actually, with my own father's uh, passing. No, when my father had cancer, and so we, we know it's not if, it's just when. And you know, I'm the designated, probably like you've been in your family certain times and place, I'm the designated family minister. Right. What am I going to say in that moment? I know they're going to ask me to do the funeral. What am I going to say? So I remember that conversation I had with my dad just walking out in the pasture that day and where he lived and and just really said, man, I, I need to know. I, I want to talk about your faith. And and it, it was a meaningful, genuine conversation that gave me comfort that he truly had, had trusted in Christ. Late in his life, for sure. Um, thankfully, by God's grace, um, I had a follow-up conversation with the pastor of the church where he had begun to attend, who share with me their conversations and story and his encouragement. Now, ultimately, none of us know for sure. I mean, we we take the testimony. We believe that's the right statement of faith. We believe they believe in the right things and, and are honest in their confession of it. But it gave me great hope to know I could say in that moment, yeah, my, my imperfect dad, who I had um, a strained relationship with for a long time, I can say based on his profession of faith, I, I believe he's with the Lord, and here's why. Um, but man, had it not been that way, I, I would have been tough. I would have, I would have gotten up there and I would have talked about, I love my dad. I let my sisters share, my brothers share, and here, here are the things my dad did. Here are the things you remember about, and I shared those good memories. And then I would just share the gospel. What hope do we have apart from Christ and eternal life? And because I could say it about my own dad, I might say, and I, I don't really know. I, I pray and hope. I prayed for him a lot. Um, I know he, I know he knew the truth. I know he'd heard the truth. I pray he received it. For him, I could say he did. But I just think we need to be super careful about that, what we say and what, what we convey in that moment, because, man, we, it's almost like we can undo years of preaching. We, we preach to people, repent, trust in Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life, and, there's, and there, no one comes to the Father but by me. And then all of a sudden at funerals, oh, we know they're in a better place. They're in a better place. Yeah. I, I, was, I was faced with that same thing. I have not done near as many funerals as you have, maybe five or so my whole career or whole ministry. and. Um, been involved in more, but basically being the the main guy to bring some kind of message. And uh, one of the last ones I did, I, I I really did not think this person was saved. I mean, I'd have a conversation with him a week before. And so it was a, you know, you have to sit down and really think about, okay, are you going to be, how honest do you want to be? Because you do want to be, you know, you want to be loving to the family. You yeah, don't want to be ugly. hurtful. You know, I'm and, not trying to use that as a, right. know, use them as a punching bag. Right, but, but I just chose to really give the gospel, like you say, but also mention that, you know, from everything I could see in the last conversations I had, I wasn't sure that this person had had made any decision towards Christ and that I wanted the people that were there, that they they still had a chance to be sure, I guess is how I handled it. But, I, you know, it, it was tough to really think through that because of trying to balance that comfort, but also the honesty and the integrity portion of saying, you know, I didn't, I didn't see it in that person. 
you know, for us, Charles, and I would say this to anybody who's ever going to be, maybe this seems aimed more at preachers and things, or if you're ever called to do a funeral, I, I don't see fundamentally a different responsibility in that moment preaching somebody's funeral than I do preaching at church on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And I, I was told this a lot when I was a younger pastor by older, wiser pastors, you know, make sure you give the gospel every time. But I tell you, I, if there's a younger guy listening or anybody in ministry listening or any of our younger staff that will be preaching funerals in the, in the future, that is absolutely true because I have not done a funeral yet of anybody, my family included. I've not done a funeral of any person yet that there weren't family members there. Extended family, some is immediate family, but there are always lost people there. And don't assume the gospel, particularly in that moment, because that might be that one moment where, okay, I'm thinking about death and dying, and I do have some questions about what happens next. I do wonder how all this plays out, and I am trying to make sense of this. And you have a unique opportunity at that moment to to give hope in a way you just can't. And now, like anybody, I prefer a wedding over a funeral. Yeah. But you can preach the gospel, maybe even better. You have a there's a, there's the gospel in both. You know, we speak about the bride of Christ and our being wed to wed to God through Christ and. And our union with him in a marriage, but there's a unique opportunity in that moment where people are actually saying, "Man, I wonder what what's going to happen to me one day." Or you know, because death is death is incumbent upon us all, and so how we approach that. But I think how we approach death says a whole lot about how we see our faith every day. How do, how do we see our Christian faith? Yeah, uh, uh, this brought or your thought there brought up another question for me. It's actually something I guess totally different, but. Um, you know, you mentioned weddings. Both of us have weddings coming very soon um, to be the dads of. And, and so we have special days that are out there. And that's one of those things that as a dad or as an, as a, as an adult that you, you look forward and you want to be here for. Um, so those are things on, on this side. They're life things that you're looking to stay around for, so to speak. So what would we say to our congregation about the relationship between um, being hopeful for, for death, hopeful for the next life with God, but also how we live today. I don't know if I'm making sense with that, but do you see that you know there's things that we we want to we want to be here for my children to be married. I yeah. don't want to go to heaven yet. So what do we say to our, our younger folks, maybe, or even the older folks who who you know it's it's good to look forward to that time, and almost like what Paul looked at the conflict there of staying here to live as Christ and to die as gain. How do we how do we handle both of those together? There's a there's clearly a tension in the scripture between those two things, and I think any any Christian, because you've talked about this and thought through this, and so you feel that there there is that tug, and I think anybody who rightly thinks about the promises of God. So let me try to make this in a simple, less preachy sort of way. You really start thinking about, and I, I know I'm tired of suffering. I don't want to suffer anymore. Or this world is an absolute mess, and I, I long to be free of this. Yeah. I long to be free of all of this. And those are all part of the promises we have in eternal life. So I think the more we think about what God has promised us, what's in store for us, there ought to be a, a growing desire for it, that there are some things that God has designed us for that can't be satisfied here. And so there's that longing. But at the same time, that longing I don't think is meant to cause us to despise or to be eager for death. You know, we, I know naturally no one's eager for death, naturally. Right. Saved or lost, religious, irreligious, people want to live, right? Um, so here's the tension for me. I think on the one end of the spectrum, 
as we get older and older, we shouldn't treat death. If you're a believer, we shouldn't treat death as this great enemy to be feared that finally is going to take me, or else we don't really understand the gospel, that death has been defeated. That's part of what Christ did. That's, that's part of the resurrection, resurrection of Christ. Not only did he die for our sins, but he defeated death. Death couldn't hold him, and he becomes the firstborn from the dead, the prototype. So we, we shouldn't approach death like, I wanna, I'm going to hang on to life by whatever means necessary, and what a horrible tragedy is to die. Now, we don't dismiss the pain of death and dying, but at a certain stage and age, we realize this is part of God's design. It's good, and, and it's natural. And I think it's right in those times that we pray for peaceful death, or, Lord, just take me in my sleep, or take me gently. Lord's sovereign over those things. But that's good and natural. But at the same time, I don't think that, you know, here I'm, I'm 54 years old. If he takes me, I'm okay with that. But like to your point, there's a lot of stuff I still want to do. There are a lot of things I still want to see. And I think that's good too. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I think of this tension, like you were, you were mentioning, you know, the scriptural tension. So, you know, Paul says, I'm hard-pressed from both directions in Philippians 1.23, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that's very much better. Now, of course, consider his circumstances. I mean, I, I yeah. would feel that way too if I'm in stockades. Yeah, yeah. And I've, I'm bruised and beaten and scarred and... Um, he says, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So he had a sense of mission and purpose it gave him. I think if, if I don't have any sense of why I'm here, if I have some sort of hopelessness, some despondency, then, yeah, I'm ready to go. I mean, that's the essence, I think, of despair. But then he also says in 2 Corinthians 5, um, starting in verse 6, he says, Therefore, always be of good courage, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. But we're of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, and this is the key phrase for me to answer the question, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. So I think one of the ways, it's not the only way, but one of the ways that we're pleasing to him while we live is to enjoy him and to enjoy the good things he's done. Um, you know, so it would be selfish of me to say to my family, in essence, Listen, I've lived a good life. I've accomplished things I want to accomplish. I'm ready to go. I'm done. No, no, no. Um, how do I not recognize the goodness of God in the birth of my grandchildren or the marriage of my daughter or the salvation of my, of my friends or the blessings of my church, whatever God might do? So I think in that tension, no, God designed us. We honor him. We glorify him by enjoying what he's done, enjoying what he's given us, living life to the full. And like the challenge I gave this in the message today— like Paul told Timothy, you know, run the race, finish the course, keep the faith, run to the tape. And so that's my aim. So whatever it is, I'm going to, I just, I think what God desires most for us and that tension is, I get it. There's a part of me that heaven tugs on. And C.S. Lewis wrote a good, good bit about that, that the longer we live, the more that tug is. In fact, the circumstances of this life only magnify that tug. You know, and I think about that like for Curtis' sake, when he can't walk anymore like he did, that makes you want to go to heaven even more. Yeah. If you're listening to this and you hurt all the time and you deal with chronic pain, yeah, that makes a tug even more. Um, whatever the issue is, whatever the struggle, if you're alone, if you lost family, if you know, if you're the last remaining member of your tribe, yeah, that creates longing. But I think all that's part of the good design of God. That God over time it starts to shift my desire. I'm ready, I'm ready to go. But not living with this morbid, I think would be a morbid desire. Just man, I just I want to check out. I want to go to heaven. I remember we, you know, Justin. We were talking about this a little while ago. Justin's a silent person in our podcast. If you didn't know, he's our director. He's producer. sitting right here, so I'm gonna talk everybody. to everybody. You know, we talk about 
as a child, I remember becoming a Christian and just putting together the basic pieces of the faith and thinking two plus two equals five, and man, I'm ready to go to heaven now. Why, why can't I just go right now? And so there is a part of that, that um, childlike faith that says, yes, it's better. Look what God's promised. Yeah. But I think, I think even about today, about Curtis, you know, as we reflect on his life, you know, like you said, Curtis had some, a lot of physical issues that really could have, you know, God could have taken Curtis before today or before this week. Yeah. But look at all the people that he touched between those times of his sickness and, and how he lived his life. You know, those people, I think that's kind of what Paul's saying there. It's better for me to stay and, and do this work because that's what God has chosen. And that's what Curtis chose. You know, he chose to be a light to those through his encouragement and his love for those that wouldn't have seen that or wouldn't have been able to be encouraged by him if, if he had went when he first got sick, you know? Yeah. And, and, and isn't that what God wants for us? That sort of selflessness. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, Paul's example, Curtis's, it's, it's to your benefit if I stay. And that's a good thing. I like the thing, ideally, hopefully, I like to think that's what my family would think. Don't go. We need you here. We want you here. Right. Um, but my neighbors would think that way, that my church would think that way. So um, living selflessly, living so, yeah, I, I get that. I get that tension. There's a little part of that, I think, in every funeral that we attend or everyone I, everyone I speak at, like, I, I, I don't mind, I don't mind the thought of dying. I'm not looking forward to it. And, you know, that's another part. We talk about fear, fear of death. I think if we're healthy in our faith, I hate to sound that, that sounds like a judgment statement. I, let me put it this way. The healthier we are in our faith, the less we have a fear of dying. Now, we might have a fear of the mode of dying. I think that's different. Like, man, I, I don't want to die in a house fire. I don't want to drown. I don't want to... I, yeah, I might fear certain modes of dying. I don't fear death. And I don't say that with any self-righteousness. I, I really don't because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So yeah. um, I, I think the only thing that beyond that is is the is just the fear of, like you said, not not you missing those people, but those people missing you, the hole that you're going to create. You know, I think there's some still... I think for a normal person who loves people, loves his family... There, there is that that fear of not being there anymore for their sake. You know, not necessarily for my sake. Like I said, I'd love to be a part of all those things forever. But you know, but still, I think there's still as a believer, there's you know, there's there's a I don't know what you call it. Maybe not fear is not the right word, but this this inside of you that wants to be able to still be there and and do the things that you can only do for that family. Yeah, and to be selfless. I mean, because okay, the the ultimate extreme or the example of this to the extreme would be suicide. The worst act of selfishness feasible. Yeah. Um, well, I think if I'm not living in a, in a selfless sort of way that I don't care about the value of my life to other people, then, you know, that's that's selfish. Not to the same degree, but that's that's the opposite of the Christian life. Yeah. Now, here's another question I got a couple of weeks ago, actually, I guess about a month ago, um, maybe more, I don't know, time flies, but um, somebody came at the end of the service and asked me about uh, the idea of cremation. And I know today, you know, we're we're seeing a lot of, of spots who for cremation, those kind of things at the funeral home. Um, what, what's your what's your take on that, or or maybe even some some ways for a Christian to think about the difference between a a burial and a cremation? Yeah, that's a tough one. I tell you, that's one I've probably been asked a lot. That's probably a that's probably a top ten question really over the years, um, and it's a real that's a real life question. That affects people up close. And um, so I've got really kind of two or three answers to it. One is is an answer on a technicality, I guess I would say. 
there's not scripture in verse. I think I don't believe there's scripture in verse that speaks directly to to that. Um, how we handle the passing of a loved one, how we care for the for the dead. Um, so in that sense, um, I think now whatever we do is based on conviction and preference. Uh, I think we have to be careful of drawing some false conclusions from scriptures that that really is not the point of. So like when Jesus is talking about someone says, you know, I want to come and follow you, and, but first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. You, as for you, you come and follow me. Um, we shouldn't interpret from that. But Jesus doesn't care about loss or death. I mean, once you die, boom, that's it. It's over. Move on. Don't even give that a thought. That's not the point of that of that text. Um, and, of course, I know one of the common explanations or, I guess, arguments I would hear, and, and I get it. Technically, I think it's true. Um, Jesus is not dependent upon our bodies being in any particular state in order to resurrect them. Yeah. Or else else we would be pagan in our understanding of the afterlife. Um, so what happens to those who do die in tragedy? What happens to those who who die in a fire? Or what happens to those who died in military service or die at sea? And then their bodies are put overboard in a, in a ceremony and then consumed by the, the sea life and the, and the conditions and all, all those things. I get it. Um, God's not dependent on that. Um, for all those things, and so in that sense, cremation would not inhibit God's ability to resurrect me, to give me a new body. Um, you know, I think the bodies that God have, has given us today are designed by God to thrive in the environment that he gave them. Um, I think the human body was designed to, to thrive in the world that God created. Why, why do we face disease, suffering, death, etc.? Because we brought brokenness into this world because of sin. And we see that story in Genesis, but we were designed for this world. Yeah. In the same sense, I think our resurrected bodies are designed for an everlasting world with no suffering, no pain, no death, no dying, no decay, etc. So that's my technical answer. Now, my personal answer is this. My personal preference is I don't prefer cremation. And, I, and that's for several reasons for me. Um, one of it's just kind of historical. Historically speaking, Christians have buried their dead. Yeah, and again, that's with the anticipation of the resurrection of the dead, and we've shown a certain reverence for um, how we treat each other, even in death. And I think I'd like to think that speaks to our value of life in general—that we, from from conception to the grave, we say life is precious, designed by God, and 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 we honor this that God has made. And again, historically, traditionally, Christians, Jews before Christians buried their dead. Pagans burned their dead. I think part of that is, too, because they were dismissive of the value of the body or false doctrines like Gnosticism, where there's the body's evil and the only thing that's good in us is spirit, soul, etc. I think it's led to that. So for me, just my imagery of, of Christ's death, burial, resurrection, I personally prefer. I told my wife today, even coming home from the funeral, you know, I think I want to be, I think I've decided, I think I want to be buried. Um, that's my preference. If someone chooses the other, I don't judge that. Um, but what I, what I would challenge anybody to consider, I would consider how do we show a reverence for life? How do we show a value for people in general that even carries over? How do we treat our people when they die? You know, so I, I was talking with someone about, you know, someone opened up a, one of those storage units and they were cleaning out one of those storage units and, and it had been abandoned. And so now they've got to discharge all the stuff that's in the storage unit. They encounter two urns in there. 
And what do we do now? Someone had just simply disposed of this like it's just, you know, something worthless. Like it's, I don't know, an old drum kit or an old, you know, some old car parts in a storage unit. It's just going to be thrown away. Someone told me about a story in the Dothan Eagle a few years ago where someone bought a teddy bear only to bring it home and the child is holding it and feeling it and feels something hard on the inside and realizes it's one of those memorial bears that contains the ashes of a small child or an infant. Um, I think we have to be super careful with how we honor and treat because I think it speaks to what we think of, of life. So, again, that's not going to be a satisfactory answer for everybody. And I say that even knowing that in my library is are the remains of my father-in-law, not in my library here at the church, my library at home, um, and his urn is there. Um, but my personal preferences, I, I prefer not to. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I think there's a little bit, you think there's a rise in, in the uh, of people towards that these days compared to what it used to be? Well, yeah, you know, I, I ask about that, and um, what I was told is it's about 50-50 now. Wow. Compared to about 10 years ago when it was about 30%. Huh. Um, again, I know economy might drive that for folks too. Um, you know, Charles, we were talking about that a little bit today. This is a this is a pretty expensive enterprise yeah. these days. Yeah. And also, depending on where you live, we talked about that a little bit. Um, in Dothan, there's land, there's space. Um, there are some places where people live, and somebody who might even listen to this say, "Yeah, but I live in I live in New York. I live in I live in New Orleans. There's no places to bury people now. What do we do? That sort of thing." Um, I, I will say this. I don't think it's the most critical issue. I think how we approach death, how we how we honor the purposes of God in death, how we don't see death. As Christians, we shouldn't see death as a great enemy that finally takes us, we finally lose to. We should see it. We should remember the promise of resurrection and that death has been overcome. So our approach to death and our value of life, I think, is most, most critical. Yeah, I think, you know, Hopefully, even coming out of today and, and this week, you know, um, we can we can celebrate the life of the two men who were members of our church, who were servants at our church in different ways uh, for many years. Of course, Mr. Richard had not been able to be here for a while because of sickness, but, um, you know, just two men who, who chose to make their church family their family and really celebrate their life and, and celebrate that um, they have taken, you know, now they're there with with Christ. And so that's a, that's a good thing. And so hopefully, hopefully nobody thinks of this podcast as a, as a downer because of that, you know? No, I, and again, we, we have to focus on what is true, not just what we feel in those moments. So like even, even Richard's situation, I think is another important teaching lesson. You know, Richard suffered from dementia in the last few years of his life. Um, and so we're left struggling. How, how do we make sense of that? Why does God allow that? My own grandmother lived to be 101 years old. And for most of the last 10 years of her life, she didn't know who we were. She didn't know who I was. And this was a good, godly woman. God, why do you allow this? I think we have to take those situations that we can't understand and filter them through the Scripture with the outcome, conclusion being, you know, one second in glory makes everything, makes a lifetime in this life fade away. And so we have to have just this abiding sense this i don't know this deep-seated eternal perspective that still says god is good and all my sufferings in this life cannot be compared to the glory that's to be revealed and you know that just gets amplified you know richard had a tough go of it the last few years of his life curtis had a tough go of it last year last few years of his life um Death is hard, and it's painful for us to see and, and to watch and, and to suffer the loss from. But we have to have this sense of, okay, but look. Okay, but look at what God has promised. And as we saw in the, in the passage I read today in 1 Corinthians 15, these bodies, these 
mortal bodies cannot take on immortality. Perishable cannot become imperishable. So one way or another, this has got to happen, and it's good. And it's, and it's going to be good for those who are in Christ. And that'd be my, I, I'm going to say we're wrapping up, but that'd be my final take on that would be, just as a reminder, I'm not saying whoever dies, well, you're in a better place. No, and that's, I'm saying the opposite of that. Jesus said to the thief on the cross who believed in him, who had faith in him, today you'll be with me in paradise. The clear implication is to the other thief who ridiculed and mocked, you will not be. And the final judgment will still come, but you're going to stand before that thief who denied him on the cross would stand before Jesus as king and judge one day in the final judgment and be cast in the eternal lake of fire. That's not, that's not better. That's, yeah. that's not a better place. Um, but... You know, I love the I love the sentiment of of Charles Spurgeon that states that our our last day here on earth, the best moment of a Christian's life is the last one, because that's the one where we're nearest to heaven. My best day will be my last one, even if it doesn't feel that way. And I'm sure it doesn't for many people in that moment, but it doesn't make it less true. Yeah. So that's man, that's our that's our hope. Well, for for something lighter as we as we finish up, um, something I'm really interested in is. Um, getting your feedback on on my fantasy football team um, because this year I, I did not draft any Dallas Cowboys and I'm trying to decide if that was a good thing or a bad thing with the year to come. So, um, well, Charles, I know you're asking me that question because a you know that I'm a lifelong Cowboys fan, but I'm also a Cowboys hater, <laughs> which frustrates my own family to death. They can't understand why I root for a team that I hate so much or I hate a team that I root for so much or I'm not sure how that worked exactly. <laughs> But for any of you listening, you can always count on me to give you the straight scoop, unfiltered scoop. Okay, so you drafted no Cowboys. So not drafted Cowboys running back was good because Pollard is just not going to be the deal. Yeah, and I had a chance to get him, but I didn't. You're not going to get the goal line carries you're hoping for right there. You're going to get a lot of Dak Prescott sweeps and dives and sneaks and stuff like that. Two, not Prescott. I Here's my prediction. He's going he's gonna to throw more interceptions this year than he threw last year. <laughs> That's my prediction. Just wait and see. You could have drafted the Cowboys defense, though. Top five there. Yeah, well, I took the 49ers, though. So is that well, a, you know, which that's way? Better. That's better. Bosa is better. I mean, he's yeah. the best. Um, but for Cowboys that are draftable, to me, and I'm not doing fantasy this year because it frustrates me because <laughs> I have to cheer for people on teams <laughs> I hate, like the Eagles or the Giants. Or um, 49ers. Or the 49ers. <laughs> the one Cowboy we're taking is C.D. Lamb. I, yeah. think, I think he's he's the fantasy guy that'll that'll perform for you. CD would be worth taking. The rest of those guys, man, I'm just – I don't know. I'm with you. I'm just not – I'm not seeing it. Yeah, for the first time ever, I had the first draft pick. So, who would you take? Jefferson. You know, he, he was by far everybody's first round pick. I mean, he didn't have a choice. I mean, that's who everybody said take um, because of his age and what he's done the last couple of years. I mean, what else can you do? So, you didn't homer up your draft then and you didn't just – you didn't start with – like Josh no, Jacobs I, no, or no, I didn't take any of the Alabama people. I didn't do it. So nobody, not first. Oh, of course, you have yeah. Jalen Hurts as your quarterback, though, don't you? No, 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 no. I do have Waddle on my team, though, of course. Um, but uh, and I think I did take. Maybe I did get Jacobs. I can't remember my team yet, but I got a couple. But um, I think we're going to be okay. Uh, so you don't I, have Henry or Jacobs? Um, I think I have Josh Jacobs. Maybe I can't remember. But I won last year. This is a family league only. So. Um, um, We'll see. Yeah, there's, there's a good video of me giving tips and those kind of things. So, yeah. anyway. But anyway, just in, in happy. So, uh, football season is around the corner. Uh, but even if you're going to the games on Saturdays or Sundays, if you get a chance to go to Pro Game, uh, we still have church 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings. We hope you'll make it back for those. Alabama and Auburn is not too far away. 
uh, Tuscaloosa and Auburn to get back for Sunday church. So no, and watching online is not the same thing. And and again, yes, I'm on my I'm on my soapbox on this one now. Okay, listen, your your church family and being together with your church family is you can't exchange that for simply watching a church service. So. Yes, it's better than doing nothing, you know, tuning in with us or somebody and watching, but it's not, as you've heard me say over and over, it's not just religious goods and services. And if there's anything that Curtis showed was just the value of, of real church family, church community, and how important it is. I mean, because we, again, I, sorry to circle back to funerals. No, it wasn't easy for him to get here. I mean, he was overcoming physical genuine physical obstacles and pain to be here and yet he was here and then you look at the fruit of that for people who genuinely felt encouraged by him i mean i I hate to sound harpy preachy here but man it's not always about you it's not just coming because what can i get out of it what do i need today are they talking about anything i'm going to be interested in today um oh you know the pastor's still on second timothy and elders and widows and blah 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 man what about the people that are going to be gathered there that day Somebody who needs some encouragement. Yep. Somebody who will be so, so moved that you knew their kid's name and ask how they did in their football game Friday night or how your, you know, how your um, whatever, how your surgery came out. Those kind of things for the sake of other people. So, yeah, yeah, be here. And I applaud those of you who are, who are ardent fans and things. You go to your games and you still are here. And the last one I'll say this, and this is maybe this is uniquely a Calvary issue. <laughs> Hey, even when your team gets spanked on Saturday, show, show up. up. That's right. Just take it. <laughs> take it. That's just how it works. Yep. Just take it. Listen, I don't have to worry about that so much because, you know, I'm an Auburn fan, but that's second to being a Tar Heel. And so most of you guys aren't even paying attention. If my team wins or loses, I don't have to sweat it much. <laughs> yeah, what but conference is that again? The A, A something? It's the it's the transnational coast-to-coast conference now because I think we're getting ready to add – I think we're getting ready to add the, the – <laughs> the final, the rest of the final remnants of the Pac-12. <laughs> so, yeah, it's the Atlantic, um, Atlantic Pacific, Pacific Coast Conference with go. Stanford. APC. and We can change it to the APCC. But the real battle of, of supremacy happens Saturday in Charlotte, North Carolina. <laughs> SEC versus ACC. Yep. South Carolina versus North Carolina. And whoever wins, know that Paul will still be here I will on be Sunday here. morning. So. I will be here one way or the other, and I will still be saying Drake May should win the Heisman. <laughs> Drake may win Seisman. Listen, um, I hope you listen to this stuff today. <laughs> I hope you guys listen. Pass this along. Um, we've got some more important stuff we're going to be talking about in some days to come. We talked about some of that last week. But this just was fresh on our on our minds and thoughts today. And just you know, just want to encourage you to you know think biblically about life and and death. Um, you know, First John one eighteen says, "There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment." Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And you and I, if we're in Christ, we're not fearing punishment of God one day. The day of Christ, the day of his return, the day of our death, the day of judgment, all those things, those days, those are good days for us. Perfect love casts out fear. And so I pray that you know the love of Christ for you and you love him. And the Bible says no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive of what God has in store for those who love him. And so I hope that takes away your fear of dying. Yep. All right, so as always, we are for God, for Dothan, and for the world, and we'll see you next time.